series started last week on the on the covenants of God, and uh, of course talking about the blood covenant, uh, and said much to you last week, and I just don't have time to review all of that. So if you missed it, and to get the most out of what we're going to say today and so forth, uh, as we go over the next several weeks, you, you really need to go back and listen to what we had to say to you last week, uh, and that's on our internet site. And you can go there and get it for free and catch up. Uh, but with last, session, last session was an introductory session. And we talked about what a covenant is. And we talked uh, primarily about the blood covenant. And God is all about blood covenants. And we listed the major covenants in the Bible. And so on and so forth. And uh, I do want to look this verse up again. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Uh, says, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps, notice what he does, he keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. The faithful God who keeps covenant. One of the greatest things you could do for yourself and for your children and grandchildren and so forth, your descendants, is get in on the covenant of God and serve God. And it'll be a blessing to you and it'll be a blessing to your children and your grandchildren uh, and so forth. On down, how far, does he, how far does he keep covenant? Down to thousand generations. God is a God of covenant. You need to understand that. We, we showed you last week that like the blood covenant, we got that from God. Remember we showed you how Adam got it from God and he delivered it on down to Abel and so forth and so on. And of course, we mentioned to you about the Abrahamic covenant, which we're going to talk about today. We talked to you about the old, what, what is considered the old covenant. When, when you hear somebody talk about the old covenant, really what they're talking about is the law of Moses and the covenant that God had with his people Israel. And the mediator of that covenant was Moses. And that covenant, that one has been done away with. You, you understand that? That, that? That's, that's you know, when Jesus said it is finished, one of the things he meant when he said that. There's four other things we could talk about what he meant when he said it is finished. But one of the things is is the uh, Mosaic law was 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 finished. He fulfilled it. And aren't you glad we're not under that? Because if you know anything about that, and I'm not going to take a lot of time teaching on that because that has passed away. We're not under that any longer. We will say some th more things about it as we go. But, uh, uh, but anyway, the Abrahamic covenant is a, a covenant that God made with Abraham and it's eternal. And, uh, and actually that covenant, as we'll see, is all about, it, it, it was given to Abraham, but it's really about God the Father and God his Son. And, and, and that covenant is eternal, and you need to be a part of that covenant, now listen carefully, to get to heaven. And you need to realize that God promised Abraham... Abram, he changed his name to Abraham. He promised him a seed. 
And we showed you last week that, of course, you think about Isaac, but, but God was certainly Isaac. But what he was talking about was some 2,000 years later, a virgin would conceive and bear forth a son, and his name was called Jesus. And he came, and he actually he, he, he ratified that Abrahamic covenant and sealed that thing, and it's called the New Covenant in the blood of Jesus, and that's the covenant you want to get in on. And when you get in on that one, you're actually getting in on the Abrahamic covenant because Jesus just came and ratified that one, you see. And uh, see, a lot of people think that, uh, um, you know, God has a covenant with his people Israel, all right. Don't misunderstand me. He certainly does. And you need to realize the church has not replaced Israel. God's still dealing with Israel. But there's a natural Israel, and then there's a spiritual Israel, and the Bible is clear that the, the natural descendants of Abraham are not necessarily children of God. Did you get what I just said? The only way to get, and, and, and you need to also realize this, just because you're a, a natural descendant of Abraham, what we'd call a natural Jew, doesn't get you in on the Abrahamic covenant. Just being a natural born Jew doesn't get you saved. You have to receive Jesus. Did you hear me? The natural, and, 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 and people miss this. Good Bible teachers miss it, and I don't understand it. But you read, the, you, you read the New Testament, you read just read the book of Romans, read the book of Galatians, and you'll see that, that natural-born Jews are not saved apart from getting in on the Abrahamic covenant, which is really the new covenant, if you will. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand that Jesus came and ratified the Abrahamic covenant? And to be saved, you have to get in on the, the Abrahamic covenant, which is, 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 is really the, the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Uh, but you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to get in on that. And a lot of people think that a natural-born Jew is automatically in on the Abrahamic covenant. Now, there's some blessings to the natural-born Jew. Don't misunderstand me. We'll point this out here, here today. But, but to, to go to heaven when you die, it's the same for a natural-born Jew as, as it is for a Gentile. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. Now, now, people, I, I, you know, let's make this very clear. A natural-born Jew who does not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible is clear. Don't get mad at me. The Bible is clear. They will not make heaven. No more than you or I will make heaven apart from Jesus. Natural born Jew has to receive Jesus. Can you say amen to that? The Apostle Paul said that, and you could read it in the book of Romans, he said that he wished that he would be accursed from God if his brethren after the flesh, the Jews, would get saved and come to Jesus. Do you understand that? The Bible says he is not a Jew who is one outwardly where the circumcision is of the flesh, but he's a Jew which is one inwardly where the circumcision is of the heart. That's Romans 2, right there, the last couple of verses. Are you all okay with me? There's no, what I'm trying to say in a nutshell, there's no way to get to heaven. I don't care if you're black, if you're white, if you're red, if you're yellow, if you're, if you're Jew, if you're Gentile. 
whatever. It, none of that matters. There's only one thing that matters. Have you, Old Covenant and New Covenant, same way to get to heaven. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received him, not just in your head, but into your heart? You understand that? Are you okay? All right, now having said that, let us look at, if you would, uh, or, or let me actually give you, and then we'll look up some more scriptures. Um, but I want to give you the 10 steps to, getting, uh, to, to cutting a covenant, which they would do in the Old Testament. Uh, first of all, if you're taking notes, what they would do is they would, if, if, if you and I were going to get into a covenant, we would take off our coat or our robe and we would exchange them. And this would imply that I'm giving you all of myself and you're giving me all of yourself. Okay? And uh, then we would exchange weaponry belts. And so what this indicates is that I'm giving you all my strength, you're giving me all your strength. If somebody attacks you, they're really attacking me and vice versa. Your battles are mine and my battles are yours, okay? And that's why you would see a lot of times, and I mentioned this last week, like with the Native Americans, when you'd have a weaker tribe, they would want to get into covenant with a stronger tribe because if somebody attacked them, then they would be in covenant with that stronger tribe and that tribe would be obligated based on the covenant to come and help the weaker tribe. Do you understand that? And so there would be an exchange of the weaponry belts. And then the third part is there would there'd be a cutting of the covenant. And what would happen is they would take animals and they'd split the animals and they'd split them down the middle in half. They'd lay half on one side, half on the other, and there'd be blood all over the place, you know. And each covenant partner would stand in the middle of those, like we'd cut, cut an animal down the middle, put one part here, one part there, and then there's blood all over the place, and you and I'd stand in the middle, and then we'd walk in what's uh, called a figure eight. We'd walk, you and I would walk, if we were getting into covenant, we'd walk in a figure eight, and th of course that's an infinity sign. You know what an infinity sign is? And that would indicate that this covenant is eternal. And we walk around those halves through the blood back to the starting point. And what we're saying here when we do that is we're dying to ourselves. Now, aren't you glad we don't have to do this today? We're, we're not under, I mean, Jesus came and he, he concluded everything for us. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, isn't it good that when you sin, you don't have to come here to Summit Church and bring a, bring a, a lamb up here? And I don't have to take my knife and cut the lamb's throat and all of that. You say, that's, that's ugly, that's mean stuff. Hey, sin's an ugly business. And that's what happened in the Old Covenant. They'd, when they'd sin, they'd have to bring an animal. And typically it was an animal, typically it was an animal that, 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 that they had some sort of concern for. And it had to be spotless. And you'd have to bring it up to the, take it to the temple, present it to the priest. He'd slaughter it and present it to God on your behalf. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that anymore? I mean, if you had a little lamb out back named Fluffy, and you sinned, you wouldn't want to bring Fluffy to the up here and have me kill Fluffy, would you? But, but see, sin's an ugly thing. But but see, uh, now when we miss it, we don't have to miss it. We don't have to sin. But if we do sin, we with a repentant heart go to the Lord Jesus and ask. 
confess it, ask him to forgive us, and he will. Isn't that wonderful? Because see, his, shed has been, his blood has been shed once and for all. His blood is, remember we showed you last week, this new covenant is better than the old covenant. And when I say old covenant, I'm referring to the law of Moses. See, under the law of Moses, they presented animals. But those an, the blood of the animals could only cover man's sin. But if something's covered, it can be what? Uncovered. The, 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 one of the main reasons the new covenant is better than the old is that the blood of Jesus doesn't just cover sin. It washes it away as though it never happened in the first place. See what I'm saying? So, uh, anyway, let's get back to it. They'd walk that figure eight. They'd go around though. They'd walk. They'd walk, you know, around the, those animal halves. And they, in this, they're saying we're dying to ourselves. We're giving up the rights to our own lives and beginning a new life in our covenant with our covenant partner until death. And then each partner would look at those cut animals and they would say, God so do to me and more if I ever break this covenant. Remember we brought out last week that marriage is a covenant, isn't it? And when you get married to somebody, you're in it not until you get in the first argument. You're in it for how long? Till when? Till death. Till death do us part. Is that right? Ideally, that's the way it's supposed to work. Now, then what would happen is they would cut the body. Usually they'd cut the pot if we're getting into a covenant. Glad we don't have to do this anymore. But you'd have to cut the palms of your hands. And what, what happens? Remember the word covenant. It, it means in the old Hebrew is bereath. The Hebrew word is bereath. The Greek word is diatiki. The Latin word is testament. But it means what? Covenant means to cut until there is a what? A shedding of blood. We told you that last week. So if you and I were getting into a covenant, after we cut the animals and walked that figure eight, then we'd have to cut our palms, and then we'd have to shake hands and intermingle blood. Now, I told you that, that, that a covenant is, is stronger than a contract. Didn't I tell you that last week? You see, a contract is just part of a covenant. Now, if you and I were getting into a contract... Uh, which would be easier, just to sign our names on, on the dotted line? Or would it be more serious if, if after we signed our names, we took our pocket knives out and we cut our, our, our palms and we mixed blood? Now, would you, rather, would you rather do it in ink or do it in blood? We do it in ink. But see, we're, we live over here in, in the West, and we don't understand much about blood covenants. But over in the East, you start talking about covenant they understand that and the mingling of blood now of course we don't do that i wouldn't recommend us do that because you know there's all kinds of diseases out there and whatnot i don't even know if i'd want to cut my right hand and my left hand and do it you know <laughs> you didn't get the humor there that's all right i wouldn't even want to shake hands with my uh, you, you didn't get much less with you did you want to you want any do i have any takers here you want to cut your wrist and mix blood with me you pass well, we don't have to do that because Jesus shed his blood and all of that. But I'm trying to, trying to get across to you, these blood covenants were serious things. Serious things. Here in the United States, you enter into a contract or you give your word or you shake. See, that's where we got the modern day handshake. How many of you know here in the United States, a handshake don't mean much anymore, does it? But in covenant, it did. And your word was your bond. 
sad to say we've, we've lost that. But that's where we get the modern day handshake from, is from the blood covenant. And of course, in so doing that, when you'd shake hands, you, you wouldn't just shake, but you'd, you'd, you'd do your hands like that. And the intent was to make a scar. And that scar was there as a permanent testimony of the covenant. And then the sixth step would be there would be an exchange of names. An exchange of names. And I would take your name as part of mine and you take my name as part of yours. Okay, we're talking about how they entered into a blood covenant. And think about that. You know, like at least you can see it in part anyway. When a, when a husband and a wife gets married, at least the wife, her last name changes to the husband's name. Is that right? So you can see a change of names, can't you? And then they give the covenant terms, blessing for keeping the covenant and cursing for breaking it. That would be the contract part of it. Then they'd eat a memorial meal where they'd serve one another. And you kind of even see that at a, well, you do see it at a wedding. Lots of times when I've married people over the years, what do most couples want? They want communion, don't they? And she'll serve him and he'll serve her. And even you see it even in a lighter version of at the, when they cut the, cut the wedding cake, right? And he'll serve her and then she'll take the cake and smear it all over his face, you know. <laughs> but there's a memorial meal, a very serious thing. And then there would be the ninth step, there'd be a, a memorial, a sign of the covenant, a sign of the covenant. And uh, usually what they do, they'd plant a tree and they'd sprinkle it with the blood of the animals that they had split down the middle. And that blood sprinkled tree, along with the scar in their palms, would always be a reminder of the covenant. Now, of course, you know, these 10 steps I'm giving you were, were guidelines. Of you, as you study the covenants of the Bible, you see a lot of these. You may not see every last one of them, just to the extent here that we're technically giving them to you. But like with Noah, what was the, what was the sign of that? Of there be no, God had never destroyed the earth with a flood. It was a rainbow, see? With a, with a married couple, what is the... Is, oh, it's not a ball and a chain around the ankle. No, it's a... <laughs> it's, it's a what? It's a wedding ring. Is that, is that right? It would be a token or a symbol. And then... Uh, the tenth and final step... From now on, once that blood covenant was, was concluded, the partners would be known as friends. You need to understand that, friends. In the Bible, when you see the word friends, you need to really check the context of it because many times it's, it's covenant talk. And when you were a friend, that meant you were in covenant with a, with a person. We'll see Abraham was called a friend of God. That's covenant talk. doesn't mean they were just buddies. It means they were in covenant together. And you know, I'm getting ahead of myself a couple of weeks down the road. But Jesus said, he said, put it in my own words, he said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. You know, think about this, a marriage. I'm impressed to the Spirit to say this. A marriage. It, it, it marriage is a covenant, isn't it? And do you know that a lot of married people aren't friends, are they? 
they fuss and they fight and they argue. My wife, sitting back there in the sound booth doing the projection, she is not just my wife, but she's my friend. She's my best friend. Your wife ought to be your best friend, fellas. Ladies, your husband ought to be your best friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're in covenant. She's my best friend. I've seen this for years. You know, you'll have a husband and a wife, and, and, and I, I'm not disparaging this, but you'll, you'll see this, and the wife will say, well, well, Susie over here is my best friend. Or the husband will say, well, well, Bill over here, he's my best friend. Well, I know kind of what they mean, but my best friend is my wife. And I, I bet you every, every last penny I have in the bank, if I ask her, she's going to answer uh, me, who's your best friend? Absolutely. And there's nobody else even close other, other than, of course, than the Lord. That's the way it ought to be. And if it isn't that way, you need to work on it and get, get to it. Can you say amen? Now, um, so those are the ten steps of the covenant. And then also, too, I'll say this, all the descendants of those covenant partners are included in the covenant because they were in the partners when the covenant was made. And then it's interesting, later on, when a child was born, they were included in that covenant until they would come to what we would call the age of understanding or until they grew up and they were old enough to make a decision for themselves. And then they had the right to accept or reject the covenant themselves that their ancestors made. There didn't have to be a recutting of the animals and all of that. They could just decide either to be in on it or not. See, Jesus has died on Calvary's cross, hasn't he? And that covenant is between him and his father. And we get in on it when we reach the eight. See, babies, when they're born, they're, they're, they're covered by the grace of God. But when, when, and all of us, we're covered by the grace of God. But you grow to an age of accountability where you can make a decision for yourself. Then it's up to you whether or not you want to be in on, that, on the covenant. I don't know about you, but I want in on that. And I am in on it because I place my faith in the Lord Jesus. And that's what keeps you out of hell and puts you in heaven. Now... Let's go to Genesis 15, verse 1, and I want to talk to you about how Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant fulfill these steps. I find this fascinating. And actually, you need to understand about covenant because, again, that's how God communicates really with mankind is through covenant. And if you don't understand anything about covenant, you're, you're not going to be able to communicate with God uh, properly as you should. So notice here in Genesis 15, 1, God says, to, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now notice right now, his name is not Abraham, it's Abram. Now what do we say? One of the steps of the covenant, there was a changing of names. So we'll see as we go that a Abram is going to get his name changed to Abraham. We'll talk about that in a moment. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your, God, what did he say? I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. So right there we see that God is presenting all, I mean, this is a great deal here. Abram's getting all of God's weaponry. That's a good deal. 
All the military forces, the angelic military forces of heaven are now going to be at Abram's disposal. I, I want a piece of that action. How about you? And really we see steps one and two, you know, there was exchange here of weaponry. He said, I'm your shield, your exceeding great reward. I'm giving you all my strength, Abraham and Abram, and my protection. If anyone attacks you, they're attacking me. Now I will say this, the last thing you want to do is attack a natural born Jew. Or a spiritual Jew. Any, 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 you don't, you don't, you know, I said a lot at the beginning about the natural born Jews are not, they're not safe until they receive Jesus. But having said that, there still is, there still, there, there, there still is that, that covenant still covers them. I believe I'm convinced of this as it pertains to protection. And I tell you what, you curse the Jews, you come against the Jews. I'm even, I'm talking even the unbelieving ones. I don't want to, I don't want to touch them in any way, shape, form, or fashion, in a negative way, uh, I want to bless them. How about you? Absolutely. I've said this before. I'll say it again. The most dangerous thing about being the president of the United States is not the assassin's bullet. It's how you treat the nation of Israel. You need to treat them and and bless them. Now, I want to say this. Having said that, you need to realize if a natural-born Jewish person is not living in line with the Bible as they should, that doesn't mean God condones their their behavior. Can you say amen to that? Are you okay with that? And God didn't condone their behavior. When they got into sin, He judged them, didn't He? He warned them, warned them, and then judged them. But I'm just saying, as a general rule, you don't want to mess with the Jewish people. Look at what happened to that demon-possessed Adolf Hitler. Huh? Where, what happened to him? He, 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 he's no more, is he? And you look back and you look at the history. Everybody who's came against the Jewish people have, have lived to regret it. Or I'll say haven't lived to regret it. You okay? Now, they exchange weaponry. God and Abram. A good deal for Abram. He didn't, I mean, he was a rich man, all right. God actually made him rich. But don't you think that it was, I know any weaponry that I have, I'd want to, exchange, I'd want to be in covenant with God because he's a lot more powerful than me. So it's a good deal for Abram, okay? Good deal for anybody to get in covenant with God. And uh, then notice in Genesis 15 here, notice verse 7. Then God said to him, He said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. See, he was a moon worshiper. Abram was. Does anybody know how the Jewish nation began? I'll tell you, it began through faith. Abraham became a Jew. See, the Jews were started. Abraham was the initial one, and it started by faith. He had faith in God. That's how you and I become spiritual Jews. Romans chapter 2, the last two verses, I'll tell you, through faith in the Lord Jesus. So he was in Ur of the Chaldees. He was a moon worshiper. Aren't you glad God can reach down into whatever, whatever gutter we might be in and pull us up out of it? Isn't that wonderful? Somebody ought to say amen to that. 
I mean, he was in Ur of the Chaldees probably howling at the moon. I don't know, but God, God looked beyond all that and saw that this man is going to believe me, and I'm going I'm to I'm reach out and... I'm going to reach out and deal with him. And he said, Who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees, or Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit it? And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Now, Abram said, How shall I know? And it's interesting. Verse 9, God said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, here in the West, if, if I said something to you and, and made you some sort of a promise and you said to me, uh, uh, Pastor, how, how shall I know that, that you mean business on that? And if I said to you, well, go get me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female, go to three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, you'd look at me funny, wouldn't you? What in the world is, why does, why does Pastor want that? But see, over there in the East, they Abram knew when he said, how shall I know? God says, we're going to cut covenant. And see, that was serious talk. That was serious business. And Abram knew, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in covenant here with Almighty God. Oh my goodness. And it's interesting as you study into this, the, the, now watch this, this is fascinating. This heifer and this goat and this ram, these are symbolic of Jesus. As see, as you study the Old Testament, and, and if you're visiting today, we spend most of our time in the New Testament, most of our time in the New Covenant. That's the dispensation we're under. But in order to understand that something is better, you have to understand something about the old to, to, to see how better the new actually is. Can, can you say amen to that? And so you see Jesus on almost every page of the Bible. And here, it's interesting with this, with this heifer, this goat, this ram, this turtle oven, this pigeon, these all represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Three of them represent his, his humanity, and two of them represent his deity. Now, I'll show you that here in verse 10. Then he brought all these to him, to God, and, and Abram, he cut them in two down the middle. Didn't we, didn't we tell you about that? And placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Now, why does the Bible say that? He did not cut the birds in two. Very interesting. Now, now, now listen to this. The heifer, the goat, and the ram were cut in two. Those represented the humanity of Jesus. Those, those were cut. You can cut humanity. You can cut humanity. But it's interesting that the, the, the turtle dove and the pigeon, the Bible says he did not cut the birds in two. They represent Jesus' deity, and you can't split deity. Just fascinating. I said, this, is, this, I don't, this kind of stuff fascinates me. And then in verse 11, the vultures came down on the carcasses. Because see, Abraham's cut these, the... the, the he cut, he, the, three, the three animals he cut, the, the, the birds he didn't see, the birds represented Jesus' deity. But here you got these, these animals and three of them are cut and there's blood everywhere. And then the vultures, you know the, you know the devil is a slimy individual and these vultures are a type of the devil and the devil shows up at the most holy of times to try to corrupt things, doesn't he? And the vultures come down on the carcasses and the Bible says Abram drove them away. Do you see human effort here? And it's interesting 
Verse 12, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And as you study into this, it doesn't appear as though this is a natural sleep. It appears to me as though God put him to sleep. Remember how God put Adam to sleep. And took, he didn't just take a rib out of him. You study into the Hebrew of it. He, he took, a, took a, massive, a massive part of Adam's side out of him, not just a rib, a massive part of his, almost, a massive part of his side and made the woman. But anyway, in this part here, what we're talking about here is it looks to me that, that God put Abram to sleep. Now what, is, what significance is that? Well, in this covenant, this covenant is going to be between God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They went out, they made fig leaves. Is that, they got fig leaves, is that right? That wasn't acceptable to God. What did God do? God brought them coats of skins, and to get those coats of skins, what did he have to do? He had to kill animals, and there was a what? A shedding of, of blood. You, un, you understand that? So, so the human effort of Adam and Eve and those fig leaves were not acceptable to God. Well, here, here you see Abram. He's trying to help this thing out. He's trying to shoo, the, shoo these vultures off. And so God puts him to sleep. And I think to me that, that signifies that in this Abrahamic covenant, though it was between God and Abram, it's really far deeper than that. It, it was between God and Abram's seed. And his seed, we showed you last week from the book, uh, book of Galatians, the seed wasn't really talking so much about Isaac as it was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see... Uh, he put him to sleep because man can really have no part in this covenant. It's between God and his son. And human effort won't, won't, won't cut the mustard. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. Not of what? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Is that right? So that's what that symbolizes to me. Now look at verse 17. And this is fascinating. And it came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark. Now Abraham's been put to sleep. And behold, there appeared, now watch this, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those two pieces. Now, who's supposed to walk between the pieces of the animals? The covenant partners, right? But now, Abram, he's been put to sleep. And what do we see here? We see a smoking oven. Abraham apparently is having some sort of a vision of this, apparently, but... But what we have here is we've got a smoking oven and we've got a burning torch. Past two, two distinct things here. Smoking oven and burning torch walking between these two pieces. It's, let me tell you, the smoking oven is God the Father. And the burning torch or the burning lamp is God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Walking between those two pieces. And this is to be an eternal covenant between, yes, between God and Abraham, all right, but it was deeper than that. It was between God the Father and God the Son. And the blood of the animals would be used as a substitute for some 2,000 years until the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, could get into this earth and shed His holy, matchless, sinless, priceless blood. Glory to God. That was far better than the blood of the bulls and the goats. Can you say amen? amen. Glory to God. 
So with Abram asleep, God the Father and God the Son walked that figure eight, initiating a covenant between God and His Son. And it's interesting, Jesus was the substitute here for Abram. Because, of course, the two covenant partners would walk, so it would be God the Father and Abram, but Abram, he, he was put to sleep, and the Lord Jesus Christ substituted the second member of the Trinity, who, of course, we would know later in the new, new covenant as Jesus. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And then you'll have to turn to the book of, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, to see what happened next. And it says here, God made a promise. It says, when God made a promise to Abraham, because he, God, could swear by no one greater, he, what did he do? He swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Glory to God. So there was a swearing of an allegiance. And then there's also a cutting of a scar. Look at Genesis 17, verse 10. The reason I'm teaching on this is I'm trying to get all of us more attuned with what covenant is all about. God is a God of covenant. And if you want to be able to communicate with God and walk with God to the fullest degree... You're going to need to understand some things about covenant. You know, I could stand here and I could tell you jokes. And I could get you laughing. I'm I'm a pretty good joke teller. I could get you laughing. I could I, I could get. But you know what? In the midnight hour, when the devil comes knocking on your door, my jokes aren't going to run the devil off. But it's your understanding of the covenant of God that you're able to stand in the power of that covenant in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going to run the devil off. Sometimes people say, Pastor, why, why don't you entertain us? Why don't you? I can do that. I, I, I do a good job at that. But that's not what God's called me to do. He's called me to put this Bible inside of you. That's what I'm doing. Genesis 7 verse 10. God tells, uh, Genesis 17, 10. Well, you know what I meant. 17, I was almost, I had the 7, right? 17, 10, are you there? <laughs> this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a what? Sign of the covenant between me and you. Now see, a lot of times people think that, well, can you, first of all, can you see the cutting now of Abraham's body? Can you see a cutting of his body? You can see that. Can you see, a, you can see, you can see the sign of the covenant? A lot of times, seeing in the New Testament, this is a big deal in the New Testament, 
that, that they thought you had to be circumcised to be saved. Some of the false teachers were teaching that. You had to be circumcised to be saved. And Paul, by the Spirit of God, rose up and said, no, he, and we could read it. We, you, know, you can see it in the book of Romans. The Bible is clear. And, and Paul says it, it was either in Romans or Galatians, one or the other. He said that Abraham was saved long before he ever got circumcised. Abraham, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or imputed him for righteousness. He did that quite some time before he actually was circumcised. And the circumcision is just a, just a sign or seal, a sign, if you will. It's like today, see, we don't think much about circumcision, but water baptism. See, I, I believe in water baptism. Jesus commanded water baptism. You, you ought to be water baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and, and, and be, be dunked under the water a whole bit. You need, to be, you need to do that, absolutely. But you better be real sure you're saved before you go into the water. See, a lot of people will teach you that you don't get saved until you come up out of the water. And there's a lot of people trusting in their water baptism to get them to heaven, and they're going to split hell wide open. If you've got to trust in more than water to get to, get to heaven, you've got to trust in the blood of Jesus. So you better be real sure you're saved. And I could stand here for hours and teach on this. I've been studying water baptism since I've been a kid. You better be real sure you're saved before you go in that water. Can you say amen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, so there's circumcision. You got time for just a little bit more or you want to go ice skating? Let's, let's go on for about 10 more minutes. What do you say? <clears throat> now look at Genesis 17.5. God says to him, to Abram, no longer shall your name be called Abram. Now there's an exchange of names. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. So you see, Abram is now Abraham. It looks as though God took, at least here in English, the way we would look at it. It's a lot different in Hebrew, but just for simplicity's sake. He took an H out of his name and stuck it in Abraham. And now he's no longer Abram, he's Abraham. You okay? And if you think about his wife, God even changed her name. Her name was S-A-R-A-I, Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. And God changed the I to an H. He put an H in Abram's name, Abraham, and an H in Sarai's name, and she became Sarah. And now then we get the covenant terms. God told him he'd make him a great nation. He promised him a son, Isaac, who from Isaac eventually would the seed Jesus come? Some 2,000 years later, he, he promised Abram his children would be uh, as the dust of the earth and the stars of heaven. The dust of the earth has to do with, with, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, with Abraham's natural descendants. The stars of heaven have to do with the spiritual descendants. Being a natural descendant won't, won't do you any good if you're not a spiritual descendant and... and, and and that's the same for everybody, faith in Jesus, period, okay? And then you got to go to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, because we could say much about this, but you need to understand this, because this applies to Abram and his seed, and if we're Christ, the Bible says, then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? So we're going to read about you and me right here, as well as Abraham and all his descendants. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Now, this is before he changed his name. Get out of the country from your family and from your father's house into the land that I'll show you. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless. Now, watch this. I'll bless you and make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, you, you, you come against the natural Jew, you're coming against God. You come against a Christian who is a spiritual Jew, you're coming against God. That's why it's dangerous to talk about your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, talk bad about them, you know. It's dangerous for me to talk bad about you. It's dangerous for you to talk bad about me. Because, because see, we're all spiritual Jews. And if people really understand this uh, throughout, throughout the nation, and, and you know, I've, I've been into some restaurants sometimes after service, and I remember one time years ago, my wife and I went into a certain restaurant, and we were walking past a table, and there was a group of people, not from this church, but from another church. I don't know what church it was. But they were sitting there, and they were chewing their pastor up one end and down the other. And I, I thought to myself, these folks can't understand. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. They're just totally ignorant, or, or they're stupid, one or the other. Ignorant, if they're ignorant, that means they don't understand what I just read here in Genesis 12. And stupid, if they do understand it. How many of you know it's stupid to talk, uh, talk against God, isn't it? And so you start talking against your brothers and sisters in Christ. I tell you what, God said, I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. So you don't want to come against God's natural, uh, Abraham's natural descendants, but you sure don't want to come against uh, the spiritual descendants because when you come against a descendant of Abraham, you're coming against God. You're coming crossways against that covenant, and it's a dangerous thing, and God will curse you. And you don't want that. So why don't we just walk in love, and it'll be good. Can you say amen? amen. And now we'll, cl we'll, we'll close with this. Go to, go to Genesis 22 here. And while you're turning there, I'll just say this. You see the memorial meal between Abram and, and, and God. There, there's two different places where you could argue that they had a memorial meal. One was when Melchizedek showed up, and, and Melchizedek served uh, Abram the bread and the wine. How many remembers that? And then there was another time where you could argue they had a memorial meal. Remember before the destruction of Sodom? How many remembers that? And, and remember God, this second member of the Trinity... God, and who, who we know as Jesus, you know. And, uh, and two angels came in there to discuss with Abraham the destruction of Sodom. How many remembers that? So, so anyway, there's a memorial meal going on. But I want to close with this right here. In Genesis 22, verse 1, now it came to pass. We want to look at this planning of a memorial. This is, this is interesting here. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abram. Now see, the covenant, the covenant was cut and all of that, but now there's a testing. And he's testing Abraham. Did you know God will test you and me? Did you know that? The Bible, there's a place where he tested his disciples concerning the, concerning the feeding of the multitude. You can see that. God will test us. Now he won't tempt us with evil, but he'll test us. And it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now, now watch this, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now Isaac had been born. And some say he was just a lad. Some say he was as old as 30 years old. So however you want to argue that. 
but it's interesting to me. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Uh, that brings to my mind uh, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You're going to see the types in here that are fascinating of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so he said, take your son, your only son. How many knows that, that, that Jesus is God's only begotten son? Is that right? Whom you love. Did the father love the son, Jesus? Absolutely. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a, burnt off, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you. Now it's interesting when you study into this, the place where God told Abraham to go was approximately, and some argue it's the exact same spot, but, but at least approximately is very close to the place, a place called Calvary. Anybody know what happened on Calvary? Oh, that's where our Lord died. Some 2,000 years after this. Fascinating, isn't it? So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. So you better go to the place God tells you to go. And on the third day, now this is fascinating, on the third day, what day was Jesus, how long was Jesus dead? Three days. And it's interesting, as you study into this, when God told Abram to take his son and go to the Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son, that meant kill him. For three days, Isaac was as good as dead. Right? And we know Jesus was dead in, in the tomb for three days. Is that right? Fascinating. And anyway, on the third day, Abram lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abram said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abram knew he was going to go sacrifice his son, but he must have been convinced in his heart that God... See, he didn't know God was going to have the ram in the thicket. He didn't know that. He knew he was going to. He, he didn't know that, but he did know he was going to sacrifice his son. And he said, we'll go and we'll, we're going to worship and come back. So do you see his faith talking here? And, and, and you can see in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we won't turn there, but you can look it up. And the Bible said that God, that, 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 I'll just read it, accounting that God was able at, Abraham knew that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead because he'd received it in a vision or in a figure on the inside of him. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. What did Jesus carry to Calvary? The wooden cross. Until he fell under the weight of it and then The fellow came and helped him out. I think it was Simon, wasn't it? Or Cyrene, I think. But nonetheless, he took the... the so you see this woods on... You see this, this sim, the symbolism and the typology is, 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 is bizarrely wonderful, isn't it? The woods on Isaac, the wood be on Jesus. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, that is a good question to ask if you're Isaac. 
where's the lamb? I mean, you think about that because, I mean, Isaac doesn't realize what, what's, what's going to happen here. As far as he knows, he's going up there and they're going to sacrifice a lamb, right? How many of you know that's a good question if you're Isaac? I mean, that's, that's, that, that's the question to be asking right there. Daddy, where's the lamb? And he said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. That's a powerful statement. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. 2,000 years later, God would provide the lamb of God in that same place, probably on that exact same spot. Glory to God forevermore. So the two of them went together, and they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood. See, there's that memorial. Place the wood in, there's that wood in, in, in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now, you know the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Do you see that this man, see, believing to us a lot of times, you know, well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's true. But what kind of believing are we talking about here? You know, think about this. Do you see when the Bible says Abraham believed God? He believed God enough to pick up the knife and plunge it into his son. That's the kind of believing that you have to have to get saved. See, there's a lot of people think believing on Jesus is just, well, we're going to come up here, say a little sinner's prayer, and, and, and just get our ticket punched to heaven, and we're going to just go out and live, live like we always have lived. That's not what the believing of the Bible is talking about. The believing of the Bible is talking about you coming to Christ and you selling your life out to Him, and you're going to serve Him the rest of your life. Can you say amen to that? That's why we have such loose Christianity and, 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 and loosey-goosey, sloppy, agape love here in the United States. It's, it's, it's terrible because we don't understand what to believe God is all about. To believe God is you make a commitment. You make a commitment for the rest of your life that you're going to, to the best of your ability, you're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ until you breathe your last. Can you say amen to that? And that's what Abraham believed. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad. See, God's not into human sacrifice. The only human sacrifice he ever required was his son. He always used the animals to substitute. But he tested Abraham to see. Now, of course, God knows everything, but he, he, he put Abraham to the test. And Abraham proved himself, didn't he? Don't lay your hand on the ladder or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, your son, your only son from me. And we'll see, and I won't have time today, but, but I'll review this a little next week and you'll see that it's because Abraham was sold out to God and believed God to the point he was willing to raise that knife. And, and you study into it and you'll see that that, 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 Faith in that belief that Abraham had in this act that he did gave God the avenue to some 2,000 years uh, later. Basically, Abram, you laid your son down as my covenant partner. Now, 2,000 years from now, I'm going to lay my son down. Only this time, there won't be a ram caught in the thicket. He's going to have to give his life. But thank God he came and he did. Glory to God forevermore. 
And Abraham lifted his eyes, verse 13, and looked, and there be, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Glory to God. And there's that blood that you see applied. And that blood was a substitute till God could get it. And, and then we have that, the whole Mosaic law, thousands and millions and probably billions of animals and lambs slain. Their blood presented on the mercy seat to cover the sins of the people until Jesus could get here and present his blood on the heavenly mercy seat once and for all. Glory to God. And Abraham called the name of the place. He called it the Lord will provide, but it's actually Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees ahead, the God who sees ahead and makes a provision. Glory to God. In the mount of the Lord shall be seen. And the covenant was cut. Glory to God between Abram and God, but it was really between God and his son. Hallelujah. Now I need to go on to finish this, but we're out of time, so I'll finish it next week. Stand with me if you would. It's one nice thing about doing a series. You can pick up next week. 